Welcome to ArchiBiz Unpacks, a podcast for architecture firm owners and leaders who are looking to grow their impact, lead a profitable business, and learn a thing or two in the process. Hi, I'm Beck Kempster, CEO of ArchiBiz and your host of ArchiBiz Unpacks. In case you haven't heard of ArchiBiz, we provide architects like you with practical business advice and education through online courses and programs, workshops and business coaching and mentoring. Each episode, we sit down with an expert in the architecture industry to bring you simple, actionable insights and strategies to help you lead your practice. Now, let's dig into today's episode. Today's guest is Kevin Mitchum, co-founder of CoArchitecture. So CoArchitecture is an industry-led marketplace where professionals and firms can strategically share their resources. The collaborative network makes it easy for architecture practice leaders to design and connect with architects who are looking for work. Welcome, Kevin. Hello, everyone. Nice to meet you all. I fancy when you say an industry expert. <laughs> <laughs> you are. <laughs> so I was really excited about doing this talk with Kevin today because this is a problem that we hear about a lot from small practice firms, and that is this issue around juggling resources. You know, you, you want to hire, but you, there's concern about whether you've got the projects to cater for that, and then what if, you know, projects drop off? What do you do with those resources? You know, what's the optimal way to measure it? So Kevin uh, has co-founded and developed a, you know, a really unique solution that can help address this problem. Um, so, Kevin, we might start, if you can tell our audience today, what is co-architecture? Yeah, definitely. Um, what is co-architecture? I think in its simplest form, co-architecture is basically a professional network. Um, but we like to think of ourselves as uh, a mashup of LinkedIn and Seek but dedicated specifically to architecture and design. Um, I guess what we do is all in our name, co-architecture. Co means to join together. It's the prefix um, of architecture, so joining together architecture. Uh, and we're all about aggregating the industry together um, to help create that sustainable model or, or, I guess, employment opportunities or project opportunities to hopefully create more sustainable careers and practices. Um, so yeah, we provide a dedicated network of industry professionals um, to help manage those peaks and troughs between jobs and project opportunities. Yeah, great. And can you tell us a little bit about why you created CoArchitecture? What was the problem that you saw? And maybe if you can do that, um, provide a little bit about your background as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess, well, I'm a registered architect here in Western Australia. Um, and I should actually, I should also acknowledge uh, my elders past and present. I'm joining everyone from Boralu, Perth, which is part of the Wajak Noongar Buja. Um, so I'll pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging and their continued connection to land culture and in particular education as well. Um, but yes, I'm, I'm a registered architect here in WA. I have been in the industry for almost over 10 years now. Um, and I'm confident everyone here, I always, I say this a lot, but I'm confident everyone here will agree with me that our industry always seems to be fending off some kind of threat or we're dealing with some kind of peril. Um, and I always like to think about the last 10 years, we've had to face things like the fallout of the GFC, 
housing markets, booms and busts, poor procurement of fees, and of course, COVID pandemic across the last two years. Um, and we're still dealing with the COVID pandemic in, in terms of its fallout. Um, but the number one thing that's always impacted or affected by these kinds of economic downturns, and the first thing that is adversely it's cut is jobs. Jobs account for 60 to 70% of a practice's revenue, uh, sorry, expenses um, from their revenue. So it, it's, it's usually the first thing that gets cut when a project goes offline or when we don't have a pipeline of work. And in my 10 years, I've been made redundant. I've relocated states twice. I've worked for four different firms and I'm a male. So far be it if I was part of a, margin, a marginalized group within the industry. It's actually really, it's not great for a sustainable long-term career. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it, that's kind of where we came from when we were thinking about how do we make the industry, or how do we make it easier to navigate a career in the industry as well as navigating a practice? Um, and so myself and my co-founder thought, why is it so bad? There's gotta be a better way to do things. And um, yeah, we started looking into what kinds of um, I guess options we had to to help ourselves first, but then we quickly realized how how widely experienced this was across the market. So it became more about well, if someone else has been going to make a, a solution, then I guess we have to be be that solution. So um, my co-founder Wade is a marketing has a marketing background within architecture. Um, so we did a lot of market research to try and figure out. Um, how could tech play a role in, in dealing with a lot of these inefficiencies? And we quickly realized that half the industry, 52% of the industry are actually sole trade practitioners. Um, and then another 46% are small to medium enterprise. So they only employ between 20 to 30 people. So technically speaking, 98% of the industry are small practice, uh, which kind of blew our minds when, when we made that realization. And it, it just put it all together and we quickly understood how, why it was so hard uh, and why it was so unsustainable because everyone was so small uh, and we were so disaggregated that it, we were just constantly competing for such small parts um, of the market. So that has a direct impact on job opportunities. And we came to the idea of co-architecture um, asking two questions. Um, Actually, sorry, ironically, because it has such a direct impact on jobs and opportunities, we asked firms what was the number one thing to help them be strategic, and they all identified talent. So while they're saying talent's the number one thing that that helps them be competitive, they're also saying we can't support talent at the same time. Um, so it was kind of ironic. But yeah, we asked the two, we asked two questions. How, one, how can you gain access to talent in economic upturns, and how can you protect your talent during economic downturns? And our answer to that was co-architecture. So using technology to aggregate everyone back together and strategically share your resources. That's yeah. a very long-winded roundabout way of our founding story. Sorry. <laughs> no, absolutely. It's, it's key. It's, it's, it sets it up why you've come to this. And I think, um, you know, what you offer is unique in that you come from the industry itself. And, and I'm really keen to sort of unpack, you know, there is the traditional recruitment method for small practice owners, how does what you offer differ from that traditional method of recruitment? Yeah, definitely. Um, 
I think I mentioned this before as well. Like, well, I don't, I don't think technology like us could truly replace traditional recruitment. It's a highly tailored service um, of recruitment of that kind of recruitment model. But I do think our platform is going to disrupt the traditional recruitment model, but in a good way. Um, so I guess by using the advantages of using technology like co-architecture, uh, one, we reduce the overall cost of acquiring talent dramatically. So recruiters can charge anywhere between 10 up to 30, 40% on top of the contract, um, especially in high demand periods like now in Australia and probably in, across the globe as well. Um, we also make it more accessible and less restricted. So you're not having that kind of third party conversation. You talk to the recruiter, the recruiter talks to the talent. By building a network, you have the opportunity to talk directly to people yourself. So it kind of takes a lot of that heavy burden of, of building a network of talent um, off of the recruiter or off of you yourself. And you can rely on technology to help you do that. Um, and I guess that also provides more flexibility in, in um, in the way you can build your team and not every practice, we identified 98% of the industry as small practice, not every practice can afford to take on permanent staff members. They just don't have the consistency in their project pipeline. And I think that becomes a little bit taboo. Some people think employing contractors or independents is, um, I guess, an, an, identi an identity you don't want because it kind of suggests that you don't have consistent work pipelines. Uh, when technology like co-architecture could actually help you manage that a lot better and a lot more efficiently. So yeah, that, that's kind of like three, three or so of the main reasons of why. We, we build a number of other features as well that automate a lot of the traditional recruitment administrative tasks and burdens. Yeah, great. So I think you've touched on a couple of things there um, in regards to some of the key features that it offers. So I think um, maybe if we could sort of unpack, there's this piece around being able to take people on for contract roles. There is also a new feature that we've talked about um, that you've got coming and that's this secondment feature. Can you share with people a little bit about how that works? Yeah, definitely. Um, so the secondment feature is, a, it's, a, it's referring back to that 98% that we identified. So. Very early on, we had this idea of imagine if that 98% could strategically join together or um, share their resources when and where they needed to. So um, my practice, let's say I have five people, but next month our last project wraps up and I haven't got a consistent pipeline of work coming up. So I'm concerned how I'm going to sustain those staff. I don't want to make them redundant. Like, they're really valuable. I've invested a lot of time in training them. And not only that, my practice probably couldn't afford the payout um, of making staff five staff redundant. It was probably send me under. So the idea would be that I could reach out to a practice like you, Beck, and say, hey, um, I can see you've got two projects coming along um, that need resourcing. I have some five amazing staff that I would love to second out to you. Um, and that's what we, we're looking at doing is building, using our network to connect practices like that um, so that they can share their resources and be, be a bit more sustainable. Um, and we, we've all, that kind of came from a lot of organic growth on our platform as well. We do facilitate permanent roles and helping people find permanent positions, but naturally a lot of those, that 
independents out there who work for themselves that have their own projects, it's just not consistent. So they're strategically working together with other independents to, to kind of meet, meet those peaks and troughs naturally. Um, so yeah, what technology like co-architecture means you don't have to rely on your local network. You can kind of expand out. Uh, there's no kind of geographical um, boundaries. So I could work with someone over east as well as someone here. Um, so yeah, that, that's the secondment feature. Um, it's still not launched yet. We're working on it. There's a lot of, I guess, the first concerns most people have is around IP and um, a lot of the legal, legal sides of things. So we're trying to build in features that are a little bit more sophisticated in terms of helping people manage those. Um, but at the moment, people are still net, uh, doing contract, I guess, project by project roles on the platform. Um, we want to build that as a common feature and be a right. Was there another question that you asked? I might have forgot. Sorry. <laughs> no, I just wanted to drill into that a little bit more. So when you talk about the legal features and th that sort of thing that you're building into it to make that secondment feature work, are you sort of referring to also covering things like um, contracts and then, you know, does that work cover and who's paying the staff and, you, you know, to the platform sort of what is the plan for it to handle those sorts of things? Yeah, it, it's just... Yeah, exactly that. Um, our platform acts as a general service agreement anyway. Um, so, but I think a lot of practices are looking for um, how do they protect their IP, what kinds of um, NDAs and things like that can be used. Um, and yeah, any kind of additional terms that come out of, out of a conversation, how can they be added into it? How can they form into a contract and things like that? So, um, yeah, we're, we're looking at, a, I guess, a pro forma way of building an agreement for people. Um, um, Kevin, I do want to ask you, because you touched on this earlier about building your talent network, and there's this talk about, um, I know we've had a discussion previously, about a passive talent network and the need to build that. Um, can you explain a little bit about what a passive talent network is and why practice leaders need to be working on that? Yeah, definitely. Um so we, I mean, we like to talk about passive talent networks because that's what our platform enables, but everyone already quite naturally has a passive talent network. It's, it's generally your network. Um, it's the most common way that most people hire, I think, is they hire through referrals or they hire through someone they know. Um, and ideally, our, our platform can help people expand that passive talent network. So. We talk about it um, in a way that, I guess, instead of recruiters collecting CVs for you and pooling the talent around them and kind of controlling it in that way, um, our, our platform allows you to do that and build your network um, rather than, yeah, rather than recruiters pooling that talent. So the idea of a passive talent network means you might not be actively looking right now but you've built networks and relationships with people um, to create, I guess, a talent pool. When you are looking, there's already pre-vetted, pre-screened um, people that you've already built relationships with. So it kind of improves that that process of onboarding and fitting into your practice. And, um, yeah. and does the platform allow you to sort of build that and store those people in a way, almost like, you know, LinkedIn having connections or something like that? Yeah, exactly that. So. Our platform, yeah, if you've contracted someone, you obviously 
um, have that networking connection, and yeah, you can save save those people, pull pull the talent of or a network of people around you, um, so that you can tap into it when and where you need to. Yeah, excellent. Okay, um, and this next question, it's I think you know what we've been through um, in the last couple of years. We've seen a lot of people decide they've had enough and uh, they're going to go off and do their own thing or a lot of career changes you know I, I heard a, a practice of, um, that it, you know someone walked in the other day and said okay this is it I'm changing careers I'm you know we're seeing this great shift um, or you know the great resignation what tips do you have for practice leaders to help them uh, both attract and retain their talent yeah it's a, it, it's a um it's a funny question but it's a good question and I think just purely by us creating this platform I'm starting to get that question a lot um I think I mean I'm trained in architecture I'm not trained in HR um so my experience comes from personal experience working within the industry um and whilst I guess the the job market is hot at the moment um there just isn't a workforce to match match that demand at the moment. So there's just projects everywhere and job opportunities everywhere. Um, so when one practice hires, they're effectively taking a resource from another practice. And then that practice now has to jump on the bandwagon and start trying to resource a project or resource their practice. And there's this kind of constant cycle happening at the moment. And yeah, people are asking, what can I do to retain my talent? and and keep them here and, um, and I think it's um, when people talk about the great resignation it's not about what kind of benefits you offer now it's not about competing for talent and saying oh we have a 100k salary package and we have a, um, I don't know a ping pong table and really cool you know all these features you get a gym and all that kind of stuff whilst benefits might persuade someone I think um, the, big re the great resignation is more about a cultural shift that's happening. People are changing away the, the way they align their values with practices. But I was thinking about it the other day, and I think practices, if they're concerned about retaining talent, maybe they should be thinking about, um, we, we created a title for them, value influences or values influences. Um, how, how can you find someone in your practice that um, is a real champion for your like your practice's values and um, the collective values of the staff that work there because I think those people will be really they'll be lightning rods to attracting the right people and retaining the right people um, because people are really focused on that now and I think yeah I think that's vital in, in terms of trying to figure out how you retain talent it's how can you appeal to people's values long term and I guess that requires yeah, I guess that requires you to go up a step as well and to be really clear on what your values are as a practice. You know, you can't yeah. expect people to be aligned to your values if you're not clear on what they are. Exactly. This, as I said, there's just so many opportunities out there at the moment. I think that's what might differentiate people, um, is having clear ideas around that and championing, championing those people in your practice that do do that um, naturally. So, yeah. Yeah, great. We've got a question here about um, seconding staff. So do you see the IP from the practice process and way of working being a barrier to secondment? And um, if staff are taking this intel into another practice? Yeah, 
Um, hmm. Yes and no. Um, yes, it, it is. It's obviously a concern. Pe people want to protect their IP and they want to protect their, um, I guess, their design intelligence. Um, however, we're a highly collaborative industry and we work, I mean, we have maybe five, 10 people work on one project at any point in time. It's almost impossible to control who has access to the IP unless you're overburdened, like you're really, really strict with it. Um, so I know that people will take IP and assets where and when they have the opportunity. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of like a double-edged sword, I guess. The thing, what we focus on to try and pre prevent people from being malicious about the IP they take and what they're doing is that we leverage our network. So people can actually, uh, it's peer-to-peer -peer measured or reviewed or um, monitored. So if, if you create a, a negative relationship with, say I steal from Beck something from her project and I take it off into other projects, Neck, oh, sorry, Beck has access to my, to, my talent, entire network, she could effectively give me a poor rating or a poor review. Um, and it's kind of using that social rapport that we, we all rely on heavily in our industry anyway, um, to, to keep people in check in that way. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, aside from legal documents like NDAs, which are hard to enforce, um, and costly to enforce, um, there's not much, I feel like our, our strength is leveraging the network like that in a peer-to-peer -peer, um, sense. That's a stronger way of doing it, I think, because it, it, it'll ultimately affect my own pipeline, my own work, work pipeline if my rapport is not good. And I don't want that as a business. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so if people want to join the platform, if they want to become a part of co-architecture co to recruit, what's the process that they go through? You can step through what that process yeah, is. Uh, sure. Um, it, you know, honestly, it's as simple as signing up. It's um, it's free to sign up. You get access to your own employer dashboard. Um, and from that dashboard, you can advertise permanent roles. You can advertise contract roles. Um, and we didn't, we honestly didn't try to, like, we're not here to reinvent the wheel. Um, as I said, we like to think of ourselves as a mashup between LinkedIn and Seek. So advertising a role is very similar to Seek, uh, very similar to LinkedIn as well. And um, it's, yeah, it's as simple as that. The, the difference between us is that we're dedicated to the industry, we're dedicated to architecture and design professions. So it's taking all the best bits of LinkedIn and Seek and tailoring them in a way that supports our industry. Um, and yeah, it's about aggregating us all in one space rather than across all these different platforms. And probably much easier to uh, sort through genuine listings than something exactly. like that. Yeah, that, that. That's the other value we provide. So whilst the network is free to join and free to create a profile, um, we actually pre-screen every profile that signs up. Um, so if anyone is applying for a permanent position with you or um, submitting a proposal for a contract to you, they have to be pre-screened by us and they have to be approved by us. Um, otherwise, they're not, they're, they don't have access to those features. Um, however, they, 
the general network still can see your advertisement and they can still see uh, see you. I guess they're not restricted in seeing you, they're just restricted in terms of submitting applications or proposals. And about how long does that uh, screening process take? For us or for the candidate? Oh, for the yourselves like to, yeah, to review it um it depends on how much information they provide um it, it varies it can take anywhere between uh, 30 minutes to a couple days or a few days um but again that's that's our that's our software we have we automate some of that as well so if for example if a, most most candidates don't complete their the onboarding the first time they sign up um, they usually come back within two to three weeks and then complete it. So it's usually a current job role or position has intrigued them and yet they've gained interest. So they sign up to the platform and they have a look around. Uh, and then it's not until a couple weeks later that they go, oh, yeah, I really want to build my profile. I really want to um, showcase myself, put my folio work up there, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it varies for us. For the, for the candidate to onboard, it only takes 20 minutes. Um, they provide like a general bio description of, of themselves. Um, they provide all that, yeah, all that kind of information about them. They do their work experience. They do their education. They do um, a folio uh, and things like that. So, yeah. Okay, excellent. And I imagine you've got quite a bit of data that you're collecting on there. Um, just by the volume of people that you're getting to sign up and using it. Are you collecting any um, information on salary levels and how they change over time? Yeah. Um, yes, we are, we, we are collecting data in terms of that. Um, it's, it's not clear yet. We haven't got clear, like we couldn't pull clear observations or, or um, any kind of interpretations from that data set yet. It's still quite early um, so we're hoping probably this time next year we'll have a nice solid data set that we can actually evaluate which would be really interesting uh, but I mean we can see we can make initial observations just by looking at some of the data uh, we can see massive increases in terms of the types of salaries um, being advertised to attract talent um, at the moment the the only way we can really evaluate um, a candidate's current pay salary or uh, it's very it's actually a little bit it's actually really hard to average it out that they're, they're so varied and far in between and it depends on role type as well um, but yeah we've had interest from like people like Parla who want to do um, they want to see any kind of, if there's any kind of gender biases in some of the data sets and things like that which would be really interesting um, yeah, it's yeah, it's still early stages, but yeah, we are definitely looking at trying to look at some of that data and see yeah. how. And, it and so the plan is to share some of that data with people like Parla, then. Um, possibly, it depends on how. Yeah, not quite sure how we would share that data. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see how we go. But yeah, they're definitely interested in looking at stuff like that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And you've touched on there. I think the. Um, you know that it's really an employee's market at the moment with the the high demand um you know we are seeing over on the east coast a, a talent shortage certainly uh 
is this part of a bigger macro trend or just a short-term shortage kind of fed by um, issues with immigration and all that sort of thing for the agriculture yeah. industry? It's a good point to make. I mentioned before how if someone, if someone acquires talent, they've usually taken it from another practice now. Uh, and this kind of cycle is going to keep going on for a little bit. And it is, yeah, led by a huge project stimulus that's happened across, especially on the eastern states. Um, we we are a little bit concerned because there we 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 perceive that there's going to be a, the other side to this market and it's going to be downward not upward um, and we're already starting to see signs in the in terms of procurement such as the we've had two large building companies go under in the last two weeks um, ProBuild and um, I forgot my name. Um, but yeah we've we've seen two large I mean, that's only going to trickle back down towards design and architecture as well. And uh, so, yeah, we're, we're a little bit concerned that the job market or the project market will be impacted soon, and then therefore the job market will be impacted. Um, so it's a little bit worrying to see people offering salaries of 100K plus, thinking that in another 12 months, project pipelines could be completely gone. And we'll be back in the scenario where people are being made redundant because they can't afford um, and it's, that's the worry. It'd be amazing if, I guess, immigration is able to open back up or we can draw on international talent pools to resource projects and things like that. Um, but yeah, at the moment, our platform only caters, you have to have Australian working rights and things like that um, for an Australian ABN to be working on the platform. So I guess it's even greater motivation for you guys to get the secondment feature up and running. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I think the common feature would be a really big benefit um, for the short-term problem that we have at the moment. Um, so, yeah, the sooner we can help get that out, the better. I mean, as I said, people are naturally already doing it. Like, we didn't invent secondment. People have been outsourcing for the last half a, half a century. And, um, yeah, if we can produce tools to help people do that better and more efficiently and that, that's something we want to do. Yeah, fantastic. Um, I've got another question here. What advice would you give to a candidate to improve their likely success in finding their ideal role? Hmm. What would I give to a candidate? Ideal role. I mean, that, there's so many opportunities right now. It really is really is open to candidates um, in terms of just I guess it's understanding what you want what 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 do you want as a candidate what do you what kind of what's understand what level of career you're at at the moment uh, is it is it a time to take the next step and um, elevate yourself in terms of your position and your role um, yeah there's so many opportunities I guess it really depends on the individual whether I mean you could go off and maybe you want to do your own practice now or um, you could go become an executive level in another practice or there's just opportunities everywhere. It really is figuring out what you want personally. I mentioned earlier, um, understanding employers need to understand the types of values to attract talent. Uh, and that's because talent like um, yourself is, sorry, who asked the question? I feel <laughs> strange to me. <laughs> um, if, 
talent like yourself is looking, then yeah, you're, you're looking for opportunities to best align yourself, your design philosophy, your personal values, work-life balance, all those types of things. Um, now is the best time to consider those and figure out how that ties in, all ties together. Yeah, great. But yeah, it's probably a good, good thing to recognize um, that there is potentially a downside to this market and making sure you're positioning yourself in, in a place that can be sustainable long-term as well. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, I do want to ask you, uh, what's the bigger vision for co-architecture? Where do you want to take this platform? I mean, you guys are relatively new. What's the grand plan? The grand plan? The grand plan is to become, I would love if we could partner with organisations like the Institute's, design institutes, architects institutes. Um, we kind of see ourselves as the, the intranet for architecture. So practices normally have their own intranets internally and things like that. And it's usually the place to go, right? So you, you either see news of what's happening internally of your practice uh, or that's kind of like a little resource center within your practice. We want our platform to be that. So we want to turn the platform into yeah, the intranet for the for architecture. So it's the, the go-to place the, that aggregates everyone in the industry in one space, whether you're looking for payment tools or invoicing tax and super tools, or whether you're looking for a contract or whether you're looking for um, your next permanent staff member, that, that's, we want to be that intranet. That, that's our big goal. That would be amazing if we could get that. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. I know I sort of put you on the spot there with that question. Okay. <laughs> and if you're anything like us, you know, that, that's something that, that, that does evolve continually. Um, so we've got another question. Well, how can practices best describe their culture to a prospective employee? What, what's worked well in your experience? Um, I think the best asset you have in terms of describing it is your already existing employees and staff. They, they're the ones who talk about you behind closed doors. They'll talk about you at industry events or networks. So they're really branding you to other potential, other potential candidates or talent that might, um, might be looking at your practice or evaluate. And so yeah, your, your staff member are your biggest asset in terms of describing that to other people. Um, we actually did a, a small survey to, amongst some of the, the candidates that Ask them what was what's the most important. What are the things that you want to see in a job ad, or what do you want to know about a job ad? And they said, I would love if I could interview existing employees before they accepted a job ad. So that was a really we might introduce a feature in the future where um, people could, I don't know, like not like Glassdoor where people just complain, but uh, where where people can actually have a conversation with an existing employee to see what. Um, how they align with their values. Um, and I think also the other point is in terms of, I think we always we always talk about the fit and I, I've seen a couple articles going around lately about this. Um, it's not just about how well they fit your practice, but also about how they themselves can contribute and add value to your values. Um, so what kinds of values do they bring with them that can contribute to your overall practice? Um, that's also something worth, worth considering as well. 
Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that would be fantastic if you, uh, when you went for a role, if you could interview the, the other staff, that would be incredibly valuable and probably save a lot of people a lot of heartache on the journey. Exactly. Have you seen many opportunities for meaningful part-time architectural work, particularly for experienced female architects returning from mat leave? And what, if so, what do these look like? And how do practices typically cater to these resources? Yeah, that's a really good question. And do you, I have had so many women ask me this and like I even get goosebumps now thinking about it. So ever since we launched our platform, and maybe it might be my own professional experience that I personally never came across good, uh, meaningful part-time work opportunities for women, um, especially returning women or just I personally wasn't aware of them, but the moment we launched our platform, I think a lot of women saw that opportunity, um, that this could be something really valuable in terms of building meaningful work opportunities. And ever since then, I've become super conscious of it. And I agree, I think this could be something really, really valuable in terms of doing that. That's why we've been discussing with Parla. Um, we want to make sure that we're trying to remove our biases from the developing our software and things like that and just unconscious things that don't we don't recognize straight away so kevin how can people jump onto the platform to either sign up or learn more um head to www.coarchitecture.com there's a hyphen in between co and architecture um and there's a big sign up button top right enter if you're looking for talent you sign up you press finding or find talent so you create an employer profile um, and then you enter in email, password, a few little bit of employer details, um, and then you signed up, you have access. And then if you're a candidate or looking for a contract, um, you can sign up to the find work option and then you enter email, password, some personal details, and then you go through our onboarding process straight away. So. You don't have to complete the onboarding process. It does take 20 minutes. Um, you can come back to it. Um, but yeah, if you, you do that, you create your profile and we pre-screen and vet it and you have full access to the platform. Excellent. And just to clarify, that was .com.au or just .com? .com. Well done, you. Thank you for tuning into today's episode. If you loved what you heard today, share this episode with a friend, give us a five-star review or even leave a comment. You can follow us on Instagram at ArchiBizHQ and find us on LinkedIn and Facebook also. Oh, and if you want more of ArchiBiz, make sure you download our free eight-step roadmap for finding more and better clients. You can find the link for that in the show notes. See you next time.